Uh, we're in the middle of a series right now called, wait, what? There's some things in the Bible that when I realize what they say, it makes me say, huh? Wait, what? And today we're talking about finances, money. Everybody say, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Turn to the person next to you and say, I think I might be offended. <laughs> just go ahead and just, just go ahead and say it. Has anyone ever made a really bad financial decision? This is a really bad financial decision. I made a really bad financial decision uh, a while back. I bought myself a piano. Not any piano, not any keyboard, let me tell you. This is before Lena, yes, my wife would like you to know. This is before Lena. But I bought myself the greatest piano that the Yamaha company made, the Yamaha Motif XS8. It was the best. It wasn't good. It was the best. And the price tag proved it. And I bought that thing with, a, with the wisest way that I could, with a credit card. Because I, I thought I needed it, right? The only reason that I haven't written world-changing music and produced CDs that go all over the world, the only reason is because I didn't have this piano. If I had this piano, all those other things would just happen. So I just kind of, okay, and it was really easy. Do you know how much it cost me at the moment? That. And then, uh-oh, didn't think through that one all the way. It is an amazing keyboard, but it was not a good financial decision. Any of you made some pretty dumb ones? Maybe, maybe you've made some dumb ones. I don't want you to be too ashamed. However dumb your financial decision was, it wasn't as bad as this guy. Do you know who that is? Anyone ever seen him before? His name is Ronald Wayne. He's one of the co-founders of Apple. He co-founded Apple, owned 10% of Apple. And a few weeks in, a few months in, depending on who you talk to, he decided this, this is the dumbest company I've ever heard. This is not going anywhere. And he sold his 10% share of Apple for, what was it, $800. 10% share of Apple today would be 200 billion with a B. You didn't do that. You may have done something stupid, but you didn't do that. And he didn't get much smarter in 1993, early 90s. He sold his original Apple contract paperwork for $500. And a few years later, it sold at auction for $1.5 million. He regrets that one also. <laughs> and according to Wikipedia, he's now 87 years old. According to Wikipedia, he's retired to a mobile home park. That's Ronald Wayne who will live in infamy as the dude that made one of the worst financial decisions ever, ever. So don't be too ashamed because you didn't do that. Here's a surprising verse in the Bible about finances. You know, we, we like our stuff. I like my stuff. I like my keyboard. I like my property. I like our cars. We like our nice clothes. We like our money. We like our retirement. Maybe if you're having some, you should. But here's the scripture. I'm going to read it out. Actually, let's, let's put it on the screen. Let's read it all together. Everyone, let's read it together. The earth is the Lord's 
and everything in it. Wait, what? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So I like my car. That's not my car. I like my retirement. That's not my retirement. I like my, my clothes. That's not my clothes. I like my kids. Those aren't my kids. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. God allows us to hang on to some things. To have dominion over some things. To work with some things. But it's all God's. Turn to the person next to you, type it in the chat. Uh Uh-oh. I'm about to be there. You're about to be there. You know, you said you were about to be offended. Here we go. You might about to be there. Here's my big point. Your money is not your own. It's God's. And he lets you hold it. And money is a very, very big deal to God. There's four times more Bible verses about handling finances than there are about prayer and faith. So this matters. So this is not a pressuring message. I hope it's not pressuring. If you feel pressure, I hope it's not for me. This is not a pressuring message. But God talks about it. Amen. And so if God talks about it, we should talk about it. Yep. And there are some biblical principles that we can put into play that are God's plan for our finances. These are Bible principles. So no pressure. I'm going to share what I feel the Bible says about finances. And I can trust God to say to your heart whatever he wants to say to your heart. If he doesn't say anything to your heart, fine. Here's number one. I have three big points and some some points under that. Here's the first uh, kind of a Bible principle for for us uh, regarding finances. Number one, act your wage. Act your wage. 95% of married couples argue about money, so I know this is a big deal. Money, in fact, is the number two reason given for divorce. It's a big deal. we got to get a hold of this, church. 59% of households live paycheck to paycheck in the U.S. And the average, this one blows my mind, the average American, for every $1 earned, spends $1.45. That's the average American. That tells me, we don't act our wage. We act somebody else's wage. You know, that's, that's, that's cute when you say, you know, she's 13 going on 30, or three going on 13. I know about that one. <laughs> but some of us are 20 going on 59 in terms of our finances. We need to act our wage. Debt is bondage, I believe. Debt is bondage. The Bible says it like this in Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. A slave to the lender. We shouldn't have bondage, church. We should be bound to no one but Jesus Christ. You may say, well, I have some some debt, but I'm I'm not a slave. I pay the number they tell me. I'm not a slave. That's all. Do any of these comments resonate with your heart? I want to have kids, but I want to get married, but I want my kids to be able to do that thing at school, but 
if the but is, I can't afford it, then that means you want to do things and you can't because you're in bondage to someone else. Right. You're a slave to the lender. You want to, but you can't. I want to go on a mission trip. I want to give to help people in the world. I want to go on a mission, but I, I can't afford it. I want to make a difference, but I can't, I can't afford to actually make the big difference. You want to, but you can't because you're bound up. Somebody say preach it. I mean, that, this makes sense. We're controlled by something else. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. You're not called to be a master to anyone or to be mastered by anyone except Jesus. So here we are. I know that debt is a big deal for many in America statistically, and so I can only assume that it's a big deal for a lot of us. So I want to give you three Bible principles, Bible values to get out of debt. Here, here they are, three biblical values to get out of debt. Here's number one, self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken is a person who lacks self-control. So if you don't have self-control, you have no defenses. You have no defenses. Anything can just, can just happen. You know, I, for some of you may, may need to be reminded what it was like to purchase things 20 years ago. See, back in, back in the olden days, <laughs> we had to, back in the olden days, we had to drive to a place called a store. And we would walk in and we would look at all the things they have set up and we would pick them out. And then when it was time to, to pay for them, they would, people would write a check. And they would write it and they'd rip it out and they'd hand it. And then that would take money out of your bank account. What do we do today? And it's there in 12 hours. If you're in a big city, maybe less. It's at your front doorstep. One click by now. I'm not knocking on any companies. But I'm not. But I'm knocking on our ability and drive to have no self-control. And you know who's good at advertising? Internet. Man, that's, they're pretty good at it. They're pretty good at it. They know what you want. It's amazing. We, we were talking about a vacation, and then this all-inclusive sandals resort popped up. It must be God telling me. No, no, that's advertisers. That's advertisers. They're good at it. That's just good advertising. We should have self-control. The average family credit card in America is $14,517. That doesn't include student loans or any other loans or mortgages or car loans. It's credit card debt. $14,517. If you pay the minimum, that would be $217. At 18%, it will take 40 years to pay off, and it would be a total of $104,606. And I don't think the majority of America is going out and on a credit card making a $14,000 purchase. What is it? It's death by a thousand cuts. It's the orange mocha frappuccinos. It's the one-click buy nows. It's the duplicate tool. You already have one, but now you just need a smaller one or the bigger one, and you could have just borrowed it from somebody. Yeah. Come on. We need to learn the biblical value of self-control. Here's the second biblical value to help get out of debt. Number two, sacrifice. I can hear you. I, I can, you, know, you say preach it, but I just heard everyone else inside their head. They said, oh. 
Sacrifice. Sacrifice. That doesn't sound fun, right? It's not fun, but it's good. It's good. Sacrifice is giving up something we love for something we love more. We give up something we love for something we love more. And that's the key to finding true joy. Jesus did this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, For the joy set before him. For the joy. For the joy. For Jesus' joy, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was fully man. So that tells me he liked living. He liked to live. He didn't enjoy the cross. But it was for joy that he endured the cross. He loved his life. Do you know what he loved more? You. Sacrifice is giving up something we love for something we love more. I love my money, but I love a debt-free Christmas more. It's like, you don't have to eat ramen noodles for the next 30 days. You get to. You get to. Because if you can sacrifice, there's joy on the other side. You can wander into debt, but you just can't wander out of it. Nobody ever wanders out of debt. Many of us wander right into it, but we don't wander out of debt. You got to sacrifice to get out of it. Here are some very, I want to give you some very practical ideas. This is like really, it's like super practical. How to get out of debt. If you're looking for the little margin so you can start putting down some money on debt, I want to give you some practical ideas. Here we go. Cut coupons. Gets easier than ever. Google it. Buy used clothes. There's consignment stores that with very nice clothes. Buy used furniture. Change your TV plan. Some of, man, I hear what some people spend on TV. It is remarkable. You can cut the cable. Like, there's some streaming services for far less. Cut your streaming services. You don't need 10 of them. Here's some other ideas. Eat at home. Pack your lunch. It's estimated that if you pack your lunch instead of eating out every day, taking into consideration all the buying the food and putting the food together, you'll save $120,000 over your, your work life. Trade your fraps for coffee with cream and sugar. Cream and sugar at the coffee store is free. Sell your cat. That's not a financial decision. That's just a smart. <laughs> Just wisdom, it's free. <laughs> Preach it. Order groceries online and pick it up there. Because there's no impulse buying. It might cost $5 to have it brought out to your car or at the curb, but how much more do you spend? Uh, really, the idea there is only buy what's on your list. And never shop hungry. Get a cheaper hobby. Can you afford golf? You might need to, to, uh, to ask yourself that question. Or even another, another practical idea is get a side hustle. You can wander into debt, but you can never wander out of it. It just doesn't work that way. Here's the third biblical principle to help you get out of debt. Number three, planning. Planning is a biblical principle. Come on. Jesus taught in Luke chapter 14, verse 28. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. One of you wants to have retirement or want to retire. One of you wants to be able to purchase a car. 
Suppose if you have a plan, you want to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? In other words, get a budget. Get a budget. Not just a spending plan, but a a budget that you can can plan and and look and see, am I I spending what I said I was going to spend? Where where do I need to cut? This is absolutely important. A budget is income minus outgo equals exactly zero. Uh, uh, I think of like math. I minus O equals easy. Exactly zero. I minus O equals easy. And it's easy. That's a budget. Know where your money's going. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Church, you can wander into debt, but you can't wander out of it. You wander into to bondage to the lender, but you don't wander out. You plan, you plan, you sacrifice, you work your way out. There's some videos out there about how to, uh, you know, you know, debt is going to help you and you need some debt and this is how you can use debt. Okay, for the average person, you're better without it. That's right. I don't think anybody here needs to have lots of debt. We're just better without it. Here's a great plan from Dave Ramsey on how to eliminate debt. Number one, save $1,000 for emergencies. So that way your budget can maintain every month. And number two, do the debt snowball. I don't want to get into exactly what that means, but you can. Google.com, type in debt snowball. You'll get answers. Debt snowball. See, the idea is you pay down a debt, and then all that money you put on the next one. And it's the fastest way to pay off all your debts. Debt snowball. This isn't easy. And in, in just a minute, I'm going to talk about tithing, which is giving God 10%. If you can't fathom giving away 10% and living off of 90% of what you have, then chances are you're having trouble living off the 100% of what you have. you got bigger problems than tithing. You need help. You need help. We have people in our church who are, uh, it's not a legal term, but financial counselors. They're people who have been there, done that, and they'll sit down with you and help you figure out your budget, help you see where your money's going, and help you get your financial life in order so you can walk free, not in bondage. We have a way for you to uh, sign up for that. It's on the giving page at mynewhope.in. Go to the giving page, and you can sign up for financial counseling. People will sit down and take however much time it needs, it's needed to help you understand where your money's going because we are supposed to be free people and master, right. being mastered by Jesus, not by the lender. So we want to help you be free. All right, here's my second big point. Understand what the more is for. Understand what the more is for. When the debt is down, when the debt is wiped out, it's like, yes, I can get more. Now I can get everything. Now I get to have all I wanted. No, no, no. That's, that's not the point. Like we, we have more, but we got to know what the more is for. I thought about, I didn't know if people would get it, but you know, some parts of the world you could say, you got to know what the most folk. <laughs> I won't tell you what the most folk. First of all, let me say I'm not against us having nice things. I'm just against the nice things having you. That's really what I'm all about here. But once there's margin, we need to understand what the more is for. Why is it there? Remember, all of it's God's. So when more of it's there, what's it for? 
Jesus didn't die on the cross so you can be rich. That's not the, the point. This isn't a, uh, I don't want to dilute the gospel. He didn't even die on the cross to make your life better. He died on the cross to kill your life and give you a new one. Amen. That's why he came. But let's look at what the scripture said. What's the more for? Proverbs 11.10 says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Amen. Why does the city rejoice? Because the righteous prospered? It's not about them. It's because they knew, the righteous knew what the more is for. The whole city gets better. Right. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. So what's the more for? It's for others. It's for others. This is the biblical principle of generosity. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Understand what the more is for. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result. What's the re result of generosity? What's the more for? When we can be generous with others, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Do you want God to be glorified? Great, greatest way to let God be glorified is to live a generous life. God blesses his people so that we can be a blessing to others. And that leads to glorifying God. Others will glorify God. Do you live like you understand what the most bold? Think about what, if you ever got a hunk of money, maybe an inheritance or uh, a big tax return, if you ever got a hunk of money, just think for a minute. What'd you do with it? What'd you do with it? If you didn't handle it wisely, I wonder if that's why God hasn't given you more. We need to know what the most foul. Here's big point number three. Big point number three. Trust God. Tithe. Trust God. Tithe. Paul was teaching Pastor Timothy how to lead his church and his group of churches in Ephesus. And Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So I'm going to do that today. Paul told Pastor Timothy how to do that with his church, and I'm going to do that today. How do we put God first? Comparatively speaking, everyone in this room, I think, could be considered rich in this present world. If you don't believe me, just travel somewhere out of America. There's some third world countries that you could see and you'll understand that you're rich in this present world. So don't be arrogant, nor hope in your wealth. You don't put your hope in this. You put your hope in Jesus. You put your hope in God. How do you do that? How do you put God first? I believe this process is called the tithe. This is how we can put God first in a tangible way, is the tithe. It means the tithe means 10%. The word means 10%. The first 10%. Let me share with you four thoughts on tithing. Here's number one. Tithing is about putting God first. 
God wants to be number one. It's kind of his thing. He wants to be first. Nothing above me. I'm number one. Deuteronomy, he says, do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. God is jealous, and he wants to be first. Nobody else is going to compare to him. He doesn't want there to be comparison. There is no comparison. He's God, and he wants to be number one. And then, and then he, in the Old Testament, God explains this process of, you know, whatever happens to the first is going to happen to the rest. The first represents the rest. God said to Moses, basically, let me teach you how to help the people. Let me, let Moses, let me, Mo, that's what God called Moses. Mo. Let's talk Mo. Can we talk Mo, Mo? And he put his arm around Moses and he says, let me teach you how to help the people put God first in a tangible way. And in Exodus 13, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Proverbs 3, 9, the idea continues, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. We honor God first. God doesn't get what's left over. He's number one. He's number one. And in this society, uh, the government takes off the, I mean, when, by the time you see your paycheck, stuff is gone. That's why I tithe on the gross, because I want God to have it first. He gets it first. If we have unexpected money come in, my wife and I, the only question that comes up between her and I is how much over 10% are we giving? It's a given, because God goes first. You can say that you love God first in your life, but your bank account won't lie. Does your bank account prove that you love God first? Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said that. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. So do you love God first? I hope you're not feeling pressure from me. If there's pressure to be felt, I hope it's not from me. I'm just trying to share what the scripture says, what Jesus said. God isn't after your money. He's after your heart. That's all he's after. He's after your heart. Here's number two. Tithing is an equalizer. Tithing is an equalizer. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So he says, the whole tithe, you know, not part of it, the whole tithe. And tithe, the word means 10%. And the storehouse, we are to bring it to the storehouse. What is the storehouse? It's the spiritual house where you are fed. I believe the storehouse is your local church. If you have another local church and you're visiting today, don't tithe here. Tithe there. If you're joining us online and you have another church and this is just something extra, don't tithe here. Tithe at your church. If we're your church, tithe here. But if you have another one, tithe there. That's the principle. We give to the whole, uh, we give the whole tithe to the storehouse. The tithe is not buying someone's meal. It's not missions giving. It's not giving with strings attached. It's not giving to a GoFundMe page. It's bringing the whole tithe to the storehouse. When I do that, when my wife and I do that, 
We give it, and it's done. I don't have strings attached to it. I don't have control over it. That's it. I gave it. Because it wasn't, none of it was mine to begin with. None of it was mine to begin with. Wait, what? None of it was mine to begin with. Paul also taught that we should be giving proportionally, each according to his own income, Paul says, to the storehouse. This is how we can change the world. Our budget here at this church is set up so that um, at least 10% of everything that comes in, we give out. We push the kingdom forward. We're a missions-giving church. So if everyone here tithes 10%, in this body, this church tithes 10%, and we're looking at the organizations that can, can get the ball down the field the furthest throughout, the, throughout missions work, we can change the world together. This is God's plan. If I'm making sense, say, mm-hmm. Amen. All right, here's number three, the third thought on tithing. Number three, tithing is being under blessing. Malachi chapter 3, before the verse I just read, uh, he sets it up. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. When, when this word curse is used, don't get confused. It's not voodoo. What it simply means is we're just out from underneath the blessing. It's like if the rain is coming down hard and I have under an umbrella... Maybe my shoes are getting wet, but I'm not getting pelted. But if I go out from underneath the umbrella, it's going to be falling on me. I'm going to get pelted. So I want to be under the blessing, not out from under the blessing. I would rather live off of 90% of blessed income than 100% of not blessed income. So what's the solution? The very next verse God tells them what the solution is. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. It's the only place in the Bible where God says, bring it. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So when you're out from underneath God's blessing, you're going to get rained on. And if you can't fathom living off 90% of your income, you're probably struggling living on 100% of your income. You have bigger problems. Let us help you. There's financial counselors that will sit down with you and help you figure out where your money's going. But this is important. This is a path to blessing. And this is, like, I think it's cool. This is like the one area where God says, bring it. Here's a promise. Come at me, bro. It's basically what God said. Test me in this. Wouldn't it be awesome if a church had enough guts to be like, we're going let to you, let you test God? And like, had like a money back guarantee on your tithe? Oh, wait. Hello. We're that church with guts. We have a 90 day tithe challenge that we have here. So, this is how it works. If you don't tithe, if you're not tithing, and you'd like to give God a chance, you want to do this. Test me in this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. If you are not tithing currently and you're willing to give it a shot and do what the Bible says, test me in this. You can sign up for the 90-day tithe challenge. That's on our giving page. Um, My new hope that I end, go to giving, and then I want to do the 90-day tithe challenge. And there's like a thing to read. 
Um, and you say, yes, I'll do that. After 90 days, you got to give God a chance. You got to give God a chance to bless you. So if you will commit to tithing for 90 days, at the end of that, if you can honestly say, I'm worse off. I'm worse off than I was. Let us know. We'll give you all of it back. No questions asked. It's all done. Why? Because God, God said to, I think God said to do it, basically. Test me in this. So if you want to test God in this, sign up for the 90-day tithe challenge. It's always available at mynewhope.in on the giving page. Just go to the giving page and sign up for it. And then you're making a commitment to tithe for, that's 10% of your family's household income to the storehouse. And after 90 days, if God hasn't blessed you, and you're like, yeah, I, I regret it. Every penny back. No questions asked. So I hope you take advantage of that. Because I believe God will bless you. We've had several people take that step and do the 90 days tithe challenge. To date, we've had no one ever ask for it back. Like God did it. Yeah. That's not go anybody else but God. God did that. All right, here's number four. Tithing is trusting. Tithing is trusting. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. And when you give off, here, this is how it works. When you give, off, give 10% out, and what you're, what you're saying is, all right, God, I trust you to miraculously do with 90% what I could have done with 100%. You're, you're tithing. The Sabbath is the same way. You, you give up a day and say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you with the others. I'm going to trust, trust you to allow, allow me to make up the day I lost. I'm going to give away the 10%, and I'm going to trust you. Tithing is trusting God because he is our provider. When I do the painful act, painful yet joyful act of tithing and giving beyond that, I'm trusting God to make up the difference. I trust him because he's my provider. He provides everything I need. This isn't about the Ferrari I want. Can I get a Ferrari? This is about my needs. God is my provider. There's a story in the Bible about Abraham. And Abraham was told to sacrifice his son. And so Abraham went up to the mountain with his son. And the whole way up there, Abraham's son Isaac was saying, What's, uh, what are we going to sacrifice? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice, dad? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And Abraham bound Isaac. And the, the Bible, in the Bible's account, Abraham was about to kill Isaac because God said to. And God stopped everything and said, stop, 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 stop. stop. I wasn't after your son. I was after your heart. I just needed to know I had your heart. And no longer than did that happen, Abraham heard the bleeding of a lamb. And the Bible says that, that he got excited and he said, Jehovah Jireh. This is called Jehovah Jireh, which translated means, means God is my provider. And just like that, Jireh became one of the Old Testament names for God. My provider. He's my provider. He's my provider. Jireh is my provider. 
I trust him because he's Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. I tithe because I trust him to provide. It's his name, it's who he is, Jireh, provider. He'll provide what we need. If you wanna trust the Lord with your finances, if you wanna trust the Lord to give you wisdom and discipline to get out of debt, I encourage you, trust the Lord to be who he is, Jireh.